Welcome to Political Theater. I'm Jason Dick. Joining us on the podcast today are the team behind the movie The Report, the political thriller about the Senate Intelligence Committee's investigation of the CIA's post-9-11 torture program, or enhanced interrogation, as they may call it. Morning, Dan. Morning, Senator. Have you seen the story today in the New York Times? Evidently, the CIA destroyed tapes of interrogations of al-Qaeda detainees. I want to find out what was on the tapes and why they were destroyed. Daniel J. Jones is a staffer taking the lead on what became the torture report. He's portrayed by Adam Driver in the movie. No paper. Paper is a way of getting people in trouble at our place. At our place, paper is how we keep track of laws. And Scott Z. Burns directed the movie. He has a long career of directing, writing, and producing very provocative features, documentaries, television series. And Niels Lesniewski, CQ Roll Call's senior Senate reporter, covered the real-life events that we're going to talk about in the movie portrays. Gentlemen, welcome to Political Theater. Thank you. Yeah, Good thanks for here. having us. Before uh, I, I seed uh, some of the, uh, you know, in real life uh, kind of coverage uh, and interview uh, to, to Niels primarily, uh, Daniel, I just wondered, like, when you were a postgraduate student, you know, reading tens of thousands of documents in a windowless room at Langley, did you ever think that Darth Vader's grandson would portray you on the silver screen at some point? Absolutely. We knew it from the start. No, um, obviously back then we were so focused on the report. You know, you have blinders on to the right and the left, and you're just focused on the task at hand. It's uh, it, it's quite a, I mean, the, the I, th- I looking at your filmography, Scott, um, I mean, you've, you've worked with Steven Soderbergh on movies like Contagion. Uh, and most more recently, The Laundromat, which is about money, money laundering, but you're also a producer on Inconvenient Truth, uh, the David Guggenheim documentary about global warming starring former Vice President Al Gore. I mean, you've taken some pretty chewy topics, but uh, real quickly, like, were you daunted at all about, about the fact that this was a primarily a movie about people kind of doing their homework? Well, not really. I, f- I feel like... You know, the the real story here is, in my mind, the story of someone in in the middle of the system, um, the people we don't ever see, but the people who really are doing a lot of the, the heavy lifting. And watching that person go to work every day for seven years with such rigor and such integrity that it made the system stand up and do what it's supposed to. And, and to me, that seemed like a very important patriotic story. Niels, I'm going to throw it to you because you were you were right there uh, when uh, and on the outside of some of these doors, not at Langley, but uh, but in certainly in the Hart uh, Senate Office Building where the Intelligence Committee uh, meets in in public and behind closed doors. Uh, take it away, please, for the in real life uh, narration. Sure, and I would I would start by saying that the perhaps most daunting day uh, that I have ever had as a, a journalist working in Washington and covering the Senate was the morning in which I was called to a meeting with a bunch of other reporters and editors to actually be presented with the redacted version of the executive summary of the report that, that you and your colleagues were working on for, for so long. Uh, and, and I just want, uh, first of all, to say... Uh, it's a remarkable document uh, for everyone who has not read it, who was not paying attention in real time. Uh, it's it's sort of unlike anything else we've seen, at least in this uh, era of, of American uh, politics and American government. 
but I and I want I want to start I guess by saying uh, you hear from time to time, uh, particularly in campaign coverage and whatnot, about you know people who are congressional staffers who have relatively easy lives as compared to some of the people who are out on the campaign trail and who are knocking on doors and and, and dealing with uh, the electorate in Iowa and New Hampshire and the like. Uh, this sort of is a completely different version of, of reality, and it is reality, and I, I just want you to talk a little bit about like how your life actually was for the years this was going on. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I actually had nothing to do with politics my whole career. I uh, left grad school and went to the FBI, right? So I was an analyst at the FBI, did mostly al-Qaeda issues for four years before jumping over to the Senate Intelligence Committee under Jay Rockefeller's leadership initially, uh, and that's when the tapes investigation began. If you might remember, this whole brouhaha uh, got underway um, after, in November of 2005, Jose Rodriguez and Gina Haspel, who DOJ identified as the most responsible for the destruction of interrogation videotapes that were of CIA using torture at the very first detention site. So I was assigned to that investigation by Senator Rockefeller, along with another staffer, and we compiled this paper over about a two-year period, and it involved us going out to a CIA offsite building and going through documents that were heavily redacted that were just from the detention site. Um, and we put that all together in about a 150-page report, and back of it was an Excel spreadsheet with a minute-by-minute detail count of exactly what was happening to one CIA detainee, and that, that detainee's name is Abu Zubaydah, as you might recall. Um, when we presented that report to the committee in February of 2009, within weeks, the whole committee itself had voted 14 to 1 to launch a massive investigation, which again resulted in this 6,700-page report with 38,000 footnotes to the CIA's own records. And then, of course, the report you got that morning, the you know redacted executive summary, which is about 500 pages. And I would say uh, one of the things that I actually learned in the movie that may I may have been aware of at the time, uh, but I, and I find interesting in the film, is the role of Dennis McDonough the uh, White House uh, chief of staff during the Obama administration who was, uh, I know myself, involved in uh, attempts to quash parts or all of the report from coming public. Uh, in, in, the, in the film, it, it appears that you had met Mr. McDonough years before when, when he was working for Tom Daschle, the Democratic leader in the Senate, how much of that is true, and, and what sort of what sort of relationship had you had with uh, Mr. McDonough? Uh, that is true, actually. I, I had met uh, Dennis through um, Pete Rouse, who was uh, Senator Daschle's chief of staff, later became Senator Obama's chief of staff. And, of course, Pete's known for connecting everyone. If there's anyone, one person in Washington, uh, it's Pete Rouse who's, like, connected it all. And Pete thought it would be great if I talked to Dennis. I was coming out of grad school. I wanted to work on national security issues on the Hill. And that exact conversation took place. I met with Dennis, and Dennis said, you should probably, you know, we got tons of kids here from, from grad schools doing national security policy. What we don't have are people who have that experience, and they've worked at the CIA or FBI. Go there, get some experience, and come back. And it was really great advice that Dennis gave me, and it's one, exactly what I did. I, oh, I, I wanted to jump in with, with Scott here for just a second. I mean, like this... Um, I mean, this is remarkably remarkable in its brevity, just summarizing, you know, a, a, a multi-year investigation and how it came about uh, by, by Niels and, and Daniel. Um, 
Scott, when you were faced with this, like, several years of narrative to go through, and, I mean, at, at the very least, you have this, you know, thousands of pages just from the report itself, and then you've got contemporaneous coverage from everyone from, you know, Roll Call to the New York Times to The Economist, you know, I mean, how do you, as a storyteller, you're a screenwriter, uh, as well as a director, as well as a producer, I mean, you've got to make this something that people can relate to and and have people to root for and learn something and be like sort of moved in a in a the, in only the way that a movie can how did you approach that that must have been an incredibly daunting project there was yeah i mean there was there was a lot to to take into account i mean obviously i had my own research phase it wasn't really as you know as as deep as dan went because i didn't have to he had already done the heavy lifting um, but I also met with other people to learn more about sort of interrogations and about the history of the report itself. So I spent time with Jane Mayer and Jim Risen and other journalists who had covered it. I spoke to people in the military about interrogation techniques and how this all looked to them. Um, I, I spoke to a number of senators, Senator Whitehouse, Senator Levin, um, Senator Udall, who was, was no longer in office but obviously played a huge role in the story. And, you know, what I, my process is, is I try and identify everything that seems like it would be an interesting movie scene um, and sort of start writing those up. And slowly you'll see some start to fall away. But the thing that I did that was m most different on this than, than other things I had done um, on, on some of the other movies is that I had just finished doing a play in New York at the Public Theater and in the theater, you read scripts out loud, and it really gives you the experience of, of the language. Um, and there's a lot about language in this story. I mean, as you said at the, at the outset, they called this enhanced interrogation techniques um, instead of torture, which... It's an incredible euphemism. It still yeah. is, you know. <laughs> um, evidently, it was a, a euphemism used by the Nazis during the Second World War for their program. Um, so, you know, there... The, the exercise of reading it out loud and hearing it was helpful to identify redundancies, um, to really focus the audience on both kind of the arc of this program and how it, it started and how it evolved and how it ended, um, and also to, to create a character that can kind of be a tracer bullet through this story. And so, you know, with the the part of the movie that's about the report, I took as much language directly from the report as I possibly could. But obviously, when you're dealing with seven years of a person's life, there's some compression. And so the character of Dan Jones um, is, is a creation of myself and of Adam. Um, but the, the gist of the report, um, you know, the gist of the movie that deals with the report really came from the report. And and I, I I think that one of the things you needed to balance as a as a uh, in screenwriting and directing uh, and producing was how much of the gory stuff to show. Uh, there there are there are scenes of torture techniques being deployed by contractors uh, in in the film. Uh, but then a lot of the film is actually about what happened later with the uh, CIA 
effectively spying on the Senate itself, and and how did you sort of come to balance that when you're developing developing what goes in a movie? Well, there were early drafts of the movie where I excluded all scenes of torture, and I was going along that path to see if I could make the movie compelling enough just off of the language, in large part as you know, a tribute to what what Dan wrote. You know, reading the thing is really really tough. Um, but I had a conversation in my research with Alberto Mora, who, you know, during the program was a general counsel for the Navy over at the Pentagon. And he asked me the exact same question you're asking me. And what he said was, if you don't show any of this, aren't you doing exactly what the CIA did when they burned the tapes? Isn't really part of what's happened here is the elimination of the visual experience of this. And as a filmmaker, that sort of, you know, really moved me. And I felt like people have to understand that these aren't words on a page. These were people who had these things done to them to no effect, to no, to, you know, to no gain of intelligence. And so, you know, there's sort of a two-part issue to this. One is, are these ever things that are okay to do to people in captivity? And, you know, is there is this morally who we want to be? But also, as the report makes clear, this wasn't effective, you know, and, and so that was really important. And the fact that that the CIA, you know, did go after Dan with this criminal referral and did spy on the United States Senate is pretty stunning to me. And as the movie says, you know, going back to the, the church committee, you know, the CIA is not supposed to spy on American citizens. And so, Daniel, I'll turn to you with the 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 logical follow up to that, which was what was that experience like when all of a sudden you a realize that uh, the, the CIA has decided that you saw something you weren't supposed to have seen through this process um, and uh, whether or and then and then their response to that. Well, I always thought the CIA's position on this was ridiculous to start with. What we're talking about now is an internal CIA document called the Panetta Review, which was Leon Panetta's own review of the CIA's detention interrogation program. That document was provided to us on our computer system. The CIA maintained that the committee should not have had that document because it was outside the date range of the request, which is wrong because we never limited the date range, and two, that it was a draft document and never completed. We had 6.3 million pages of records. About 20% of those 6.3 million pages were draft <laughs> records, right? So from the very beginning, it just never made sense. But they were livid that that uh, document was not only provided to us, but that it was also disclosed publicly by Senator Udall at, at, a, at a confirmation hearing for Carolyn Crass to be CI uh, general counsel. Um, so it was a huge surprise to me um, when, when that happened, when they went into the computers. Um, the chronology here is a little bit different than the film. Um, the inspector general of the CIA found out about this, and they issued the very first criminal referral, which was a criminal referral to the CIA against CIA officers who went into the computers and did this uh, examination of the, of the Senate files. After that, in retaliation, the CIA sent a criminal referral against the Senate staff to the DOJ. Um, I thought it was ridiculous on its face, but it stuck. Uh, we had to go see lawyers, and uh, 
uh, and and proceed uh, to protect ourselves in that regard. But it you know eventually, um, Senator Feinstein gave this fantastic speech on the floor in in March of 2014, um, exposing what exactly what had happened. And once it did get a little bit of sunlight, it was that it was that anecdote that or the, the anecdote that has just kind of connected everything. Yeah, it's it's still striking to me. You know, as someone who's trying to put this story together, that there have been attempts on the part of people to challenge the veracity of the report, and yet very few calls from the media for the CIA to disclose the Panetta review, which by, you know, every account is their own investigation, which they never turned over to the committee. And it seems odd to me. I mean, if, as a reporter, my instinct would be, okay, you don't like the Senate's report. Let's see what you did. Is it odd to, well, it is odd to be in 2019 right now. I can think I can safely say <laughs> that on behalf of humanity. Uh, <laughs> but from, from a storyteller's perspective, as somebody who lived through this, Daniel, and as somebody who, you know, you know made it a chronicle, made it a, 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 an art, you know, an artistic expression in a movie, is it odd to be releasing this movie almost in the, in the middle of what we find ourselves in where, I mean, as we came into the podcast, we got another couple of depositions that had transcripts that had been, you know, in the impeachment inquiry, the the CIA is is involved in this uh, episode of our of our country's, you know, sort of uh, ongoing story. Is it odd to see CIA officers like cast in almost in the in the role of heroes? in this particular episode by some people when you de- you you dealt with the brunt of the CIA's wrath Daniel <laughs> uh, yeah but let's let's be fair uh, the CIA is a diverse large organization and in many ways the report wouldn't have been written without CIA officers cooperating with us mm-hmm. on background Tim Blake Nelson in the film if you may recall uh, Scott has him written in as somebody who comes to uh, Adam Driver and says you need to look at this email you need to look at that memo and that happened quite frequently um, so it's not like the, the CIA, leader, CIA leadership absolutely defended this program, no matter what, right? Uh, but below that, the rank and file, there was, I mean, we, we recorded in the, uh, the declassified summary. People objected left and right. And when we, when we were starting to write this report, people did come to me and said, you need to find my email from this date. You need to look at this memo. It was very helpful. Uh, I want I to uh, go toward the end of the film, if I may. It's history, so we're not really giving away the ending uh, so much. But if I can ask about one of the uh, artistic decisions that you made, which was not to have an actor portray John McCain. Sure. Yeah, well, you know, when I was doing my research, one of the first things that I came across was John McCain's speech the day the report was released. The entire world already knows that we waterboarded prisoners. It knows we subjected prisoners to various other types of degrading treatment. It knows we use black sites, secret prisons. Those, pra- those practices haven't been a secret for a decade. I found it incredibly moving. I shared it with my producer, Jennifer Fox. Um, and I said, you know, I, I, want, that, I want that to be how we, how we land this. And so it was actually the first page or two of the script that I wrote. You know, it was the other 120 pages that took four or five years to to figure <laughs> out. But it just crushed a lot of screenplayer, screenwriters' dreams right there. With the, the, they know, <laughs> just, <laughs> they all know. Aspiring uh, screenwriters, how's that? <laughs> um, and because I had made that choice, 
if I was going to introduce a character earlier, then, uh, you know, I, I would lose the opportunity to what I felt was bolt the movie onto reality and show that this was this was the vantage point up until then of a guy in a room who we never see, who doesn't run for office, who doesn't make a lot of money, who, you know, just goes to work every day and was given a task to tell, find out what the truth was. And that it percolates up when people do the job and all of a sudden you see one of our leaders making a speech that is clearly inspired and in agreement with that work. And the other thing, you know, that I felt very strongly about is when this program started, you know, as, as Daniel said, the vote was 14 to 1 after the tapes investigation to go forward. I, to your point, can't imagine a single thing right now. Um, you know, I'm sure if we had to vote on whether or not today was Tuesday, um, we would have a, a real struggle with that, getting a 14 to 1 vote. So I really wanted to, to show people that it wasn't that long ago that we were capable of bipartisan behavior. Um, and, and so I wanted to, to really recognize Senator McCain. So the film is coming out in theaters on November 15th, and then it'll be available on Amazon Prime. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to, to, to think that this might be uh, uh, in just time perfectly for award season. Uh, the, you know, the, even the, the artwork uh, that, that, uh, that sort of people see when they look it up on IMDb or, or see it in ads and so forth is, uh, you know, sort of pays homage to all the president's men. Um, what's just real quickly, what's going through your mind? I mean, you're doing, you're, you're talking to, to Niels and I in a, in a, in a, uh, windowless room. Oh, well, kind of windowless. Mikhail, Mikhail is right there, you know, <laughs> in the other side of that window. Uh, but I mean, what's going through your mind? Uh, is, is it a little bit of pressure? I mean, first you, you have this, all this pressure of getting this, you know, such a, a creative endeavor to market. And then it lands in the middle of this like tumultuous time in our history. And then also you're, you know, you're in Oscar conversations and other award conversations already. No pressure, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, you know, when you start these things, you know, alone in a room writing, your hope is that you're going to be able to write a coherent script. And then if you if you get through that, your hope is that someone, you know, might want to act in it and help you tell the story. And you go through so many boxes. I mean, you know, in January we were at Sundance and we'd finished the movie. We'd never really shown it to an audience before. And all of a sudden we're, you know, at a, at a big theater there with 1,200 people and and you know the movie received a standing ovation which was mind-blowing for me i mean i'd never shown the movie to more than 10 people so to have it get that kind of response was really exciting and to have amazon step up and buy it again like that was not something i would have ever said you know two three years ago that this is where we would be and so I'm grateful to them that they're supporting the movie to the level that they are. But I think the agreement, unspoken or not, that Daniel and I always had was that, you know, the most important thing was that we tell this story as clearly and as accurately as we possibly could and preserve it as a piece of history. And so, it, you know, everything else, I guess, you know, seeing how it's almost Thanksgiving, I guess it's gravy. <laughs> there you go. 
Well, uh, Neil, Daniel, Scott, thank you so much for for walking us through this. Uh, I, I think this is uh, this is one of those like perfect marriages for this podcast. At least we got the political part of it, we got the theater part of it. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Cool. Hey, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.